You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. A very good evening to you and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight's guests include Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants who's going to be in the studio shortly with his latest wine recommendations. Manuela Spinelli will be talking to us by phone to tell us about an exciting food tour that is going round Ireland next week and it's raising funds for families with loved ones affected by Alzheimer's. I'm out and about in Boyne Valley and meet Ireland's Ancient East food champion Anthony O'Toole. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll be finding out about the 10th Dingle Food Festival, which takes place this weekend. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonanlive.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And it's always lovely to hear from you, so please do get in touch. So, as I said, the first guest this evening is our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. So, without further delay, let's find out what suggestions he has for us this month. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, how are you this evening? I'm great, Sharon. How are you? Great. Thanks very much for coming in. I was just thinking before you came in there about in the summer, whenever the sun was shining, those few days that we had, and I couldn't get enough of the Vino Verde, and I have a couple of bottles of it now in the fridge, and I've no interest in it at all, now that the temperature has dropped. Yeah, it, 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 that's, Vino Verde falls into the bracket with a couple of other wines that are real summer, fine weather products. They just don't seem to fit when, when the weather... I think when the kids go back to school, I think actually that's the time they kind of shut down a bit. Uh, rosé is the same, has the same problems. We kind of turn to the red wine now, nearly with the fire lit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the reds start coming more into... more popular at this stage. Um, mind you, restaurants... Uh, the, we found the white sales in, in restaurants over the summer was phenomenal, in opposed to red. Just like uh, two-thirds probably on most orders that would go out. Yeah. Well, although our summer is over, it's just coming into the summer season in Australia and we're going to talk about Australian wines tonight. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought over the next couple of times maybe we could go through a couple of wine producing regions like Australia, Chile, uh, the the big popular ones maybe just to give a bit of background on them. Uh everybody knows products from there. Uh, we're going to talk about a few products that they wouldn't have seen before either that I have here. And um, I just thought it might be interesting to give you a bit of information on them. Well, Australian wine, to me now, at college, Australian wines were starting to come in. There was all this chat mm. about New World wines. And yes. to me, Australia would epitomise New World wines. Australia was probably the first country to um, take on Western Europe in a serious way uh, to try and get the wines imported into it. Um, and they did that uh, actually very, very smartly. Uh, they were they used their initiative. They, the Australian government um, subsidised the wines initially to come in, uh, which means they reduced taxes in Australia if you were willing to export to, to Europe because they've seen it as a long-term view. And this now I'm talking about 35, 40 years ago. And people will recognise products like Lindemann's, Wolf Blass, Rosemount, which have been around for a long time. You know, you'd recognise those from wine lists from 20 or 25 years ago even. So the Australian government got involved uh, with Wine Australia, pushed them on. Um, that has changed slightly over the years now. That has been removed, that, advent, that, that um, financial advantage they had. So now they're in the same market as everybody else. And uh, Australia was number one in Ireland for, for a number of years. It started beating France about uh, 15 years ago, and France never caught up. Um, but Australia has been taken over by Chile in the last couple of years, mainly because... Chile can produce wine cheaper than Australia can. The issue being that um, the labour labour costs in Chile are just much lower. Um, and Australia, they're pretty high. They're standard industrial wages that they pay people, whereas that's not the case in, in Chile, where their, 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 their monthly uh, salaries or wages are much lower than that. But they're very much in line with the economy in, yeah, absolutely. in Chile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no issue in Chile with that, just yeah. that they're like the average... Uh, uh, Salary in Chile is much, much lower than here and much lower than it is in Australia. In terms of quality then, are they both on, on an equal footing whenever it comes to quality or would you view Australian wines as being superior in quality? Well, Australia um, are, are in the wine business. They started growing vines in, in 
200 years ago in 1820, vines originally came from South Africa, from Cape Good Hope in South Africa, and were planted by um, by English um, settlers initially. Um, but they they took a while to take. But the the, the advantage Australia has is that uh, Chile has a very similar climate running down the wine-making region that has the Andes and has cool air. It makes very similar types of wine. Australia has huge divergence in, in, in wine production areas, which means they can produce a lot of different grape varieties, a lot of different styles of wine, and they can produce, they can they can emanate areas like there is in Bordeaux and Burgundy, which means that, that they can produce wines that can age very, very well. And I suppose they have that reputation for producing really high-end products as well as, as their ones that you'll see in supermarkets all the time. And I don't think Chile has got to that at all. Chile just hasn't left that market. Uh, Chile is good for the the house wine, you know, the wine you buy in the supermarket for 9, 10, 11 euros, where people will have bought Australian products at, you know, that have bought Wolf Blast President Selection at 16 or 17 euros a bottle. So I think that's the difference. And then you have products in Australia, benchmark products like uh, from Penfold, you have Grange, you know, very well thought of, uh, Case a, a case of Grange will set you back about fifteen or sixteen hundred euros when it's released each year. People keep the year, um, keep the years if they can, um, and they have Cape Mental. You have some really, really good products. Um, so you have to have very well thought of all over the world. Every part of the country then grows grapes, or are there some regions that are very like it, like the southeastern Australian Sauvignon Blanc is a very popular one. Well, the, 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 all South Australia tends to grow grapes. If you draw a line across, they tend to grow grapes right underneath that, that midsection of Australia. But South Australia wine, that region itself, has all the names that you'd recognise, such as Barossa, um, you know, Clairvary, McLaren Hill, Coonawarra, all those areas that you'd recognise from bottles when you see them. So all the top-end products would come from that area, mainly because it's very luscious, um, has... Uh, mountainous, which means that it has valleys, which means it has uh, where you grow on the side of hills and you get the the, the best possible um, interaction with the weather and the sun and it has really nice weather and really consistent weather when they need it for grape growing. So they don't have the issue that France has where they have a good year, not so good year. They tend to be very stable year on year. Weather tends to be pretty similar. And it's Australia's a great country, you know, it's, a lot of winemakers have gone from France to live in Australia and move to it and they enjoy it. And then they can come back to France for their winemaking because the opposite ends, which means they can have the best of both worlds. So and there's a lot of Irish connections there as well, isn't there? Huge amount, as you'd have seen before with the event that you had. Um, a last, wine goes cheese. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, where they have cheese. huge connections. Um, and yeah, it's, it's uh, I actually have one of them here today, but they, they're products that they've big big companies behind them uh, like if we take Wolf Blast uh, Lindemans, uh, Rosemount um, and Penfolds are all owned by the same company mm-hmm. by Saucor which is a massive company um, so they have huge power uh, the products are very good absolutely very good um, uh, you don't see them a lot as house wine in restaurants anymore because they're a bit above that price level probably but they do have some really nice products and I brought a few here today just to, to um, to um, give you a feel for a few okay. different ones. This, now, the great varieties that you recognize from Australia, are the really big ones are Shiraz is the number one red grape variety. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a very big, heavy drinking red wine, goes with red meat very well, steaks, that kind of thing. But they also grow Pinot Noir, Merlot, Grenache. In the whites, then Chardonnay is their big one. Uh, in the post New Zealand, which Sauvignon Blanc is, is, is number one, uh, but in Australia, Chardonnay is, is number one by far. Okay. 60% of their white grapes are Chardonnay. They also grow Sauvignon Blanc. They you know, grow some Pinot Gris, which makes Pinot Grigio. Uh, Viognier, which is a grape variety that they, they... It's a really nice white grape variety, but it can be used to blend with red ones as well. So you'd have a lot of Shiraz Viognier here today, which is a red and a white grape blended together. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one. What is it? Yes. Well, I brought two wines from a, a winery in Murray Darling, um, which is in South Australia, and they're called River Retreat. Uh, it has a, there's a very good value, just costing over 10 euros. It has a Cabernet Shiraz in red. Now it has a Merlot, it has a plain Shiraz, um, and in the white have a Chardonnay, but it also has a Sauvignon Blanc as well. So it has a whole range of products. But they're really smashing products. Now the Australian Chardonnay tends to have oak in it, you know that feel, that kind of smoky feel that you get off when you drink Chardonnay that's been in an oak barrel. 
And it's because of the barrel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Actually, I'm getting some barrels, would you believe, tomorrow from Chile. They've sent me some barrels from Chile. Because they're only one-use barrels. Okay, right. So don't use them for anything after that. So are you going to plant them up or what are you going to do with them? I haven't quite decided yet. Um, they're big. These things cost about seven or eight hundred dollars. Really? To buy for the companies. They're oak. They're oak barrels. Yeah. Very impressive. Are there not some companies that buy those then for whiskey? Once they've been used for wine, they might use them for whiskey. They tend to use port ones okay. uh, a lot. No, they, 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 they do. But you can imagine the amount of whiskey producers would need, like, the pop they would need was 20 or 30 barrels to produce a lot of whiskey. Whereas wine uh, wineries use hundreds of barrels and there's virtually no use for them again afterwards, unless they pare them down completely, because the problem is the wine sits in them and the wine then soaks into the oak on the inside. So whatever you put into it after that, it's going to pick up the previous mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So that's where the issue is. That yeah. You just don't have the... But it's a, it's amazing. Now, saying that not every winery is willing to spend that kind of money. They have other methods of getting it to taste with oak that doesn't involve bun into Okay, yeah. But let's not go there. <laughs> so the uh, so I have those two from River Retreat from Murray Diamond, which is a winery that we started dealing with a couple of years ago, and we're the only people having the country. There's nobody else has it except us. So that's exclusive to yeah, Forest Wine Merchants. Yeah, it's great. It's a really nice product. Really like that one. Then uh, the next one I have is a is a hundred percent Shiraz. Uh, it's called the Black Shiraz. It's from Burton Vineyards, Barossa Valley, South Australia again. And uh, this is very really Burton are a reasonably big producer of wine, but they make some amazing products. Now they have a huge amount of products. They produce probably twenty five different wines inside their brand, um, but this is one of their top end better products, costing about fifteen or sixteen euros a bottle. Are they all around that price, 10 to 15 euros? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's, you can pay much more, but people, like if you go into a wine list in a restaurant, if you're going to spend 40 euros on a bottle of wine, it's probably not going to be Australian. You'd probably go back to France, or you'd probably go back to maybe Italy or, or Spain. Um, people will spend about, you know, 20 to 30 euros on a bottle of Australian wine, generally. And they're all screwed up, I see. Yeah, they're all, now you get a lot of Australian products that are not the reds, some of the better reds will have cork, but the majority of them will all have screw caps. And they have cork really, it's just an image type thing, Absolutely, isn't it? it's an ageing thing more than anything else. It's something that they want to keep for maybe 10, 15 years, and they just don't trust the screw caps. And do you trust the screw caps for that job do, for absolutely. 10, 15 years? Because I know now we've talked about it in detail before, and you feel that that is the way forward. It is. The only thing is that the ageing process, like for anything that goes into a, a a bottle that's going to be drank in four or five years, the screw cap is perfectly fine. But the the advantage cork takes over is after that five years for ageing, whereas it has an actual impact on the wine that's in there and has a certain amount of breathability in it that ages it better. So that's why nobody's willing to put it in. But mainly, not alone are they not willing to put it in, they just don't want to risk the product that they have by putting it into a screw cap to test it because it's not worth it. And they've had, where they've, you know, bottled... 24 bottles and left them in a screw cap and see what happened to them and they just feel that the cork has had a better product a better result so and there's a whole visual aspect of the cork that you know if you were to spend 100 euros on a bottle of wine you just just cracking open a cork just doesn't, doesn't seem yeah I saw something there recently I, I I don't know was it a photograph in a magazine or something but a sommelier had opened a bottle of wine that had a cork and whatever way he'd taken the foil off it wasn't removed completely off the bottle and there was the hole in it so he actually when he took the cork out put he it put it into it it, it yeah. was very cool it might have been Ashford Castle actually yeah, a picture yeah, yeah. I've seen Castle. it done several times actually Dromoland used to do it for years yeah, but now there's so I, few corks. I just, just thought it had. was very classy. It the is, way yeah, yeah. They, they, they could have strip off the top of the the lid. You really need lid. You know, you know the, the heavy, the almost like metal yes. closures, not the um, plastic ones that okay. don't work. Okay. So need to be all. They could have stripped them all the way around so that they come around and curl around and put the cork in the top. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It looked good. All right, well, three great wines. If people are looking for them, the website is forestalwines.ie and um, you get, they can order them off you and you'll deliver no problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Great. Well, thanks for coming in to talk to us about the Australian wines. Next month, then, we're going to be looking at... I think we should look at Chile. Chile. Chile is number okay. one in the country. We'll look at Chile so I think wine. that's the... And people would drink a lot of Chilean wine, you know, even if they don't mean to. 
when they ask for a glass of Sauvignon Blanc in a bar or something, chances are it's, nine times out of ten, Chilean. that's going to be Chilean. Okay, great. Well, I look forward to that. In the meantime, thanks again for coming no in. No problem. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunte. Thanks again to Ron. And if you have a wine question that you'd like me to put to him on his next visit, please feel free to drop me an email with all the details to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be sure to put it to him on his next visit to the best possible taste studio. Still to come tonight, I'm out and about in Boyne Valley and meet Ireland's Ancient East food champion, Anthony O'Toole. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll be finding out about this weekend's Dingle Food Festival, which takes place in the kingdom. Next, though, we're going over to the phone to talk to Manuela Spinelli. And Manuela has spearheaded a fantastic food tour that's visiting a number of restaurants next week, including 1826 Adair. So let's find out what it's all about. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Manuela, a very exciting food tour coming our way next week. Sight for Hungry Eyes. Tell us a bit about it. Yes, uh, starting next week uh, down uh, on your side of the world. So we're starting in Greens on the 4th of October and then we're moving on. We have five destinations all together. Um, so we have a dare on the 5th of October, uh, Burr and Soros on the 6th. Uh, and then we're going up to Cavan at the Old Post Inn on the 7th and then back to Dublin for the last event in Chapter 1 on Sunday the 9th. Uh, uh, very excited. It's a project that uh, started in Italy and um, I decided that it might be interested, interesting to bring it to Ireland. Uh, it involves a, a bunch of people that, uh, that I know and that I'm, I'm very close to. And um, it's basically... a what, what we're trying to achieve is to raise some money for a family affected by Alzheimer's disease, or I should say for families affected by Alzheimer's disease, because we're looking at um, ideally five families in the five counties that uh, we will be traveling through. So next Tuesday, it starts in Greens in Cork City, where Brian McCarthy is an award-winning chef closer to, to home here in Newcastle West. You're in 1826 Adair with Chef Wade Murphy. And you go on then up to the, the Burren and to Cavan and to Ross Lewis then in Dublin. So people can actually ring Greens directly or ring 1826 Adair directly to book a table. And with 1826 Adair, it's a lovely tasting menu. Absolutely, yes. Uh, so we are um, I'm, uh, uh, putting it out on social media. And what I do suggest is that they contact the restaurants directly because it's always easier to deal with restaurants directly. Yes, um, it is going to be a tasting menu at Adair. Um, Wade has put together, is putting together a, a five-course tasting menu and uh, the guest chefs from Italy will contribute with um, one dish. To, to the entire menu so it would be a great occasion and uh, we you know we will explain the project during the dinner um, and uh, what the way we are um, raising money is through the sale of uh, beautiful Italian um, glasses eyewear and there's uh, a reason for this because the guest chef absolutely. grew up in an eyewear business in yes. Italy. So tell us about Christina. Exactly. So guest chef, well project, the, the, the person who came up with the idea uh, is Christina. And uh, I met Christina, Christina through a common friend, which is Luciano, also coming over to Ireland, who is already known in Ireland because of his work with Ross Lewis um, up in Dublin. So Christina um, grew up in a family of uh, in, in the eyewear business, and unfortunately, her father became ill with Alzheimer. And uh, because Christina decided not to follow into her father's footsteps, uh, but to become a chef, then the, the family business had to be closed down. So Sight for Hungry Eyes is her way of, in a way, giving back, uh, if you will, and of trying to raise awareness for 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 the illness that has affected her um, personally, basically. So she has designed a pair designed a pair of glasses that she aims uh, to to sell to raise money. 
So the glasses, these are very modern, sophisticated sunglasses that you would be happy to be seen wearing. And you can buy them on the night and then the proceeds from that will be given to a family in the area of the where the the restaurant is. Exactly. So net proceeds will go to uh, a family in need. And Christina holds this very, very, very dearly. She is in Italy. She's very much involved in the selection of the family that uh, the money will go to. Um, it, because it's such a personal project, uh, she she really works in the territory. So um, actually, maybe this is a good opportunity if, if people in the area know of a family need um, that they would like us to consider um, we we do appreciate any um, communication in that sense. So you're looking for nominations nearly of families in the Adair area who who are affected by Alzheimer's and that could use some extra financial assistance just to to deal with the situation? Exactly. That would be exactly what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, uh, a family in each of the five areas that we're visiting. So in your case, because you're close to, to Adair, it would be in the Adair Limerick um, area. Okay, and if, if people want to maybe send me their details to my email address is s.noonan at live.ie or they can tweet me at Queen of Org. D- they can send me a DM through the, the Twitter system there and I can send those details on to you then. That would be fantastic. Uh, so that, that's exactly the type of, of um, networking that we are looking to do. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting, Sharon. We're, we're hoping to, you know, fill the houses <laughs> and sell a lot of nice food for starters, um, as well as yeah, really raising awareness and, um, and being able to do something for somebody that really needs it. Well, they are all fantastic restaurants or some of Ireland's top restaurants taking part there. Whenever you first approached them and asked them to participate, what was the response? They, uh, well, they're a bunch of of amazing uh, people, uh, I have to be honest. And uh, I I didn't, you know, it wasn't wasn't a difficult project for people to get on board because it's very personal and... uh, uh, it's an opportunity. A lot of them, well, all of them actually have met Luciano before and are connected with Luciano and therefore Christina. Um, so there was a, 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 a sense of friendship as well at the base of the, of the whole project. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. I'm really excited about it and uh, I'm, I'm uh, hoping that we can make a difference. Now, people can probably tell from your accent, Manuela, and the name <laughs> that you're not Irish, born and bred. No. You are you are Italian, so I'm Italian, and 25 years in Ireland, and I still have this accent. <laughs> so it's like me; I'm 10 years in Newcastle West, but I'm hanging on to the Balamina accent for dear life. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Chris, um, Christina, and Luciano, they're Italy, and you know them from home. Yes, absolutely. I've known Lutano basically all my life. Um, he has been over here because he has done some work with um, Ross Lewis up in uh, uh, in Chapter 1 and also in, in Ross's new venture, which is called Osteria Lucio up in Dublin, which is, in fact, uh, an Italian um, restaurant. Um, so that is the link. And um, because of a true Eurotox, uh, which is a, a chef's, Association Luciano would have met a lot of uh, um, a lot of, of other chefs and certainly the chefs that are involved in this project. And you work in the food industry yourself? Uh, yeah, a lot of my work is in the food industry um, uh, as well. I'm, I'm doing <laughs> a few different things, but certainly. Um, a lot of my work is in the food industry. Like recently, there was an Italian TV program came to Ireland. It was was it like a nationwide or an ear to the ground yeah. equivalent in um, in Italy, and you were the one that went around with them talking about yeah. what is great about Irish food. 
Yeah, it was yes, amazing opportunity actually. So my my profession is, you know, my 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 I'm trained as an interpreter, and then through interpreting, I got involved in a number of other projects, and most of them are in food. And this TV show was was one of these opportunities. So it was through Borbia actually, and we did um, um, the show focused on um, the um, Origin Green program. So we we went around again down your your neck of the woods. Uh, there was quite a bit of traveling and along the the Wild Atlantic Way as well. Extremely interesting. Um, yeah, and, and Linea Verde is a show that has five million viewers. So it's fantastic. <laughs> and of course, we must yeah. mention Trapattoni whenever he was in charge of the Irish team. Yeah. You were his translator as well. So you have you're really famous in the country. It has to be said. And a great project, Sight for Hungry Eyes, is what it's called. And if they follow you on Twitter or follow me on Twitter, they'll see all the details there. And we'd encourage people to make direct contact with 1826 Adair, with the other restaurants taking part, such as Greens down in Cork, and book their table and they will enjoy a fantastic evening of food and wine. Hear more yeah. about the project and to send their nominations into me at s.noonan at live.ie and I will forward them on to you. Fantastic. And they get to hear my accent in live. In real life and meet you and get your <laughs> autograph because you're famous. Oh God. No. Manuela, thanks so much for taking the time out this evening to tell us about it and the best of luck with it. I hope you raise loads. Thank you very much and hopefully see you next week, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants has been here in studio with some great wine suggestions for us. And just before the break, we were talking to Manuela Spinelli about a fantastic food tour that's visiting a number of Ireland's best restaurants, including 1826 Adair next week. And it's raising money for families affected by Alzheimer's. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on the website SharonNoonan.com or if you do a little search on iTunes or use the podcast app you'll find it in there. Still to come tonight we're finding out about the Dingle Food Festival which takes place this weekend in the Kingdom. And before that, we were returning to the Boyne Valley. Last week's show featured interviews with speakers at Fulcher Ireland's Food Connect conference that was held a couple of weeks ago in Tankardstown House in Slane, County Meath. And when I was there, I bumped into Anthony O'Toole, who you may have heard him on the show before, so he's no stranger to the best possible taste. The last time we talked to him, it was along with his pal Lily Ramirez Foran. And since then, Anthony's big news is his appointment as a Fulcher Ireland food champion and Lily and himself also had a fantastic trip during the summer when they returned to her home country of Mexico for a three-week culinary adventure. So let's have a listen to our chat. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. I'm still a little bit shocked on it to be nominated by my peers um, and to be kind of like endorsed by Fort Ireland to be a food champion um, and being with 21 other food champions around Ireland who all are on the same page of what we would like Ireland to be in the next 10, 20 years. And what would you like Ireland to be in the next 10 to 20 years? I'm very positive about it, that the way we think of Italy and Spain and France around the world or Japan at the moment is big or China or Thailand, Ireland would be the same thing in the culinary destination that you would know a cheese like you would know parmesan for example around the world or mozzarella why not know cashel or uh, or a brewer's gold um or a, like clean gogada or a coulee or something like that that is the same presence as a parmesan or a mozzarella around the world each of the food champions is assigned to a specific area and your area is Ireland's ancient east. So there must be lots of potential there in terms of the wonderful foods that come out of that region of Ireland. There is. There's a lot that we, I think, we forget about because Ireland likes to reinvent itself all the time and we just need to look back and go, what's what we have? What's been produced from our rich soils? 
So if you look of, um, along the East Coast, we have amazing waters producing beautiful uh, trout in Kilkenny. Um, that's Ghostbridge trout. We have like beautiful apples as well coming from Kilkenny. Wexford, we have uh, beautiful soft fruits, strawberries, like we're all strawberries, Wexford strawberries are known around Ireland and in Europe as well. Same with for potatoes, lamb and Wicklow. Um, and now we're getting known for our spirits as well and our botanicals, like um, we have in Wicklow, we have in Kilkenny, we have Waterford, Black, uh, Blackwater Distillery as well. So it, it's it's growing and that's just the the kind of southeast of Ireland where I'm from and then there's more going up a little bit more coming to the Boyne Valley food series and what they're doing up there it's, it's just it's amazing you're an accomplished chef yourself so you're very familiar with all the wonderful produce that is in Ireland and you're a Eurotalk chef and that's really intrinsic to, to being a member it is um, something I'm a member for the last year officially but I've been actively with Eurotalks for many years um, it's great to be recognised for my skills, my skill sets by, by people that I look up to in the industry, you know, well-known chefs who protect our heritage, our, um, our skills, uh, and then training younger chefs and cooks to protect that as well. So it, it's, it, it's a privilege to be part of it and part of that movement. You've worked a lot with Lily, who owns the the Mexican shop in Dublin city centre. And you have a great friendship with Lily. And off the two of you went on a fantastic adventure to Mexico during the summer. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. um, So Lily and her husband, Alan, we we became friends a couple of years ago over a fond for Diana Kennedy, who's um, a well-known Mexican cook and writer. And she lives in Mexico. So Lily invited me over for three weeks to her family home in Monterey and I initially was only going to go for a week and Lily was like don't be silly go for three weeks you'll regret it um, so we went to to Mexico a little hiccup on the way we got delayed for 24 hours in Dublin but when we arrived it's just even when you're landing the shadows of the mountains because Monterey is surrounded by beautiful beautiful mountains of the sun hitting when you're landing of the hitting the mountains and you just see these beautiful shadows coming down and the kind of brown green um soils grounds uh, it's just beautiful city like it's an industrial city it's the second biggest city in the in the world so the, it's beautiful for the museums like i like food i went there for food um i love mexican food but their museums and their culture they they protect their culture very well they're very proud of Mex- being Mexican very proud of their, their heritage um, of their ancestors and of showcasing that um, like a particular memory of Monterey would be the Steelworks Museum uh, which in the city was there was a massive big Steelworks Museum and a lot of people who have uh, worked there and like Lily's uh, um, granddad worked there and when we went there, there was like 18, 19 year olds who were showing us around, speaking English and very proud of their of talking about steel, like steel, something that we all use on a daily basis. We all sit in the bus, we're sitting in the car, we're flying around the world um, and talking about it. I just thought it was just it was amazing. In terms of the food, then you say you love Mexican food, but often the, the foreign cuisine in your home country whenever you go to that country of origin it's completely different so how did the Mexican food in Mexico compare to the Mexican food in Ireland? Oh now that's a tricky one because I'm quite spoiled because I have Lily who cooks for me in Ireland using our fantastic Irish produce uh, like meat for example we have amazing meat here raised on grass but in Mexico it's very hard to get really good meat um, and as, as fish as well. So I, I think it was more the tropical fruits for me in Mexico. In Mexico, that was just amazing. Their mangoes, their avocados, um, their watermelons, their papayas. And then they have different types of uh, tropical fruit that I've never seen before. And they taste absolutely amazing. Like they, they keep the best for themselves. Um, their tequila, uh, their mezcal. And then certain like the key, uh, cream, cream mezcal and cream tequila, uh, their beers as well, their chilies. Um, What's mezcal? Mezcal. Well, all tequila is mezcal. 
basically. But tequila is only made in a certain region of Mexico. So it's it, it's it's quite it varies a lot the flavor. It could be smoky, it could be tropical, it could be earthy, depending on how it's made um, around around the world. It's like the same movement of whiskey in Ireland at the moment. In same in in Mexico, there's a lot of craft mezcal um, distilleries. Did you have any one standout meal when you were there? Something that is just lingered on in your memory, and that if somebody was going to that part of the world, you'd say you must go to this place and try this dish. I, I gonna ha- I can't talk about Mexico without visiting um, Pujol in Mexico City, which is the 13th or 14th best on the uh, San Pellegrino list, and it was amazing meal in terms of the food itself and having. Um, like baby corn with chikatina ants, um, mayonnaise, and then like tacos as a Michelin star meal. Their service is not as good as what we get in Ireland. It's a little bit distant. Um, or even in New York, for example, in Levin Madison Park, I wouldn't put it in as a compared to that, but there, it's just, it was different going there and you're not having your rich kind of French traditional style um, Michelin star standards you're having something that's completely different um, it's out of the box he's getting a lot of flack for what he's doing but it's it's amazing their, their avocado ice cream is one thing that I outstanding for me was just it was so creamy it wasn't sweet um, it's just that like I love avocados and it was just just it was so amazing it was beautiful what about street food because I think when we think of countries like Mexico we would think about street food and think that that's something that they're probably very good at they are they're very good at doing tackle stands um, their laws they don't have health and safety laws like we do in Ireland so you can have tackle stands everywhere on the side of the highway um, some of them are really bad you and you, you could get sick and some of them are really good like we for breakfast, well, like we were lucky because Lily coming uh, from Mexico and our family are really, they love really really good uh, Mexican food. So we knew what the best tacos stands. You'd to want to. personal recommendations. You for want something personal like that. recommendations. Um, and I'm, I was like, it was a one in a lifetime trip to go to it. Like breakfast tacos, barbacoa, um, was one of my was a memory. Um, it wasn't a, a stand, but it was it was kind of like a diner inside of a petrol station. And Lily's family go there every Sunday, and her dad was like, "You have, we have to order barbacoa. We have to be there before 10 a.m. because it'll be, it'll be sold out." And it was it was really good. The barbacoa was it was amazing, and the stuffed chili as well with um, with queso fresco, which is like a feta style cheese, and just deep fried and then handmade uh, tortillas, which they're making on a line like a diner thing, and it, it's just simple. And their salsas, salsas in Mexico. Um, is a kind of it's their trade secret it's something that you can all have barbacoa or you can have um, any tacos in the world but the salsas are what's going to their secrets they won't tell you so that's going to make the difference between each stand as well having spent three weeks then in Mexico and returning to Ireland as a food champion is there anything from the trip that you're hoping to use in your new role I think (laughs) It's just, I think it's being proud of who we are and what we have. Um, Mexico, they they have, they rarely import um, ingredients. Like, they know their meat is not up to standards of what we have, but they're proud of their tropical fruits to keep their best produce for themselves. In Ireland, we do the opposite. We export it. So I think, for me, I'm going to be just shouting about supporting our producers, our artisans, and for myself, to not forget about them and just to use their project and keep shouting because sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself but I think um, just keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it um, and one day we will we will be like Mexico or Italy or Japan we will be proud of what we have and what we're growing here keep reinforcing the message just basically re- yes reinforcing the message it might sound like you're repeating yourself but we have to do it because we're it's a, a bubble. We're all in a bubble. Like, I'm in a bubble. All the food champions in a bubble. And it, it's just going to have to grow and grow and grow to get everyone in that bubble. So, Well, congratulations again on the new role. Thank and you. we'll have to keep in touch throughout the year and next year to see what you're up to. Thanks a million, Anthony. Thanks, Sharon. 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in the Boyne Valley where I met Fulcher Ireland food champion Anthony O'Toole and Anthony was sharing details about his culinary adventure in Mexico and his plans during his time as a Fulcher Ireland food champion. Earlier in the programme Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants had some great wine suggestions for us and Manuela Spinelli told us all about a fantastic food tour that's visiting a number of Ireland's best restaurants next week including 1826 Adair which is just down the road from the best possible taste studio and it's raising money for families affected by Alzheimer's so a fantastic cause. If you're just tuning in feel free to catch the full show later in the week on the podcast on SharonNoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's to find out more about what's happening this weekend at the Dingle Food Festival. Mark Murphy is on the line now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Mark, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Ten years of the Dingle Food Festival and I believe it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Yes, Sharon, that's right. Ten years, it's hard to believe. Uh, When we started off first, uh, the whole idea was just to promote the Dingle Peninsula as a food destination and show off what we have. So we've now reached a 10-year milestone. It's massive. So hopefully bigger and better. And we have a lot more activities uh, throughout the weekend and stuff for, for all our, our guests. Have you been there for 10 years? I've been there for nine. Okay. I was at the festival the first year, and it was quite small. They started very small, which was good. So I allowed it to grow organically. And on the second year, I had moved back to Dingle at that stage, and I got got stuck in and we've just watched the festival grow every year which has been fantastic as the chairman of the committee it must be very challenging to pull all the events together because you have such a selection there and a very diverse program so give us an example of some of the activities that people can look forward to this weekend um well there's first of all the the big sort of draw of, of the festival itself is we have this huge taste trail which just wanders right around the town of Dingle itself. And for any of your listeners who've never been to it, what it is, we've over 70 locations on the taste trail. And that's shops, restaurants, pubs, all offering some sort of a food offering. And the way that works, you buy a book of tickets. The tickets work out at about, it's a little over two euro each, and you literally just eat your way right around the town. That's one of the main events, of it, and that's been one of the successes, because you can just wander around with your family or friends the whole day, and you make new friends, you meet your old friends, and as I said, you're just eating your way around. But what else we're going to have? We're going to have uh, loads of farmer's markets throughout the town, loads of uh, festival entertainment, that carnival sort of uh, atmosphere, some fabulous uh, cookery demos, Demos by people like Nevin McGuire, Phil Brazel, Lizzie Lyons, Jess Murphy from Kai, and and many more. And then we've workshops that people can just uh, attend as well. The good news is, uh, Sharon, most events are very are free. Our kids' entertainments um, and a lot of the things are free. From personal experience of going to Dingle and to the food festival, the taste trail for me is the absolute highlight. And I, I probably agree, and I think most people, it is the highlight. And the magic of it is, it just works within the small streets of Dingle as well. It's very accessible. And what we always see every year on the Taste Trail, because you have over 70-plus places to eat, people, you have a little map. We give you a program, a free program when you come down, and people pick out where they want to go. But what generally happens, you'll find that you might be in a queue just uh, to eat whatever from one place, and you meet up with friends from others, so you move off with that group. It's a huge social day, and it's a lovely way of eating around the town. And to be honest, it really sort of sums up what a food festival is about. It's about celebrating food, and it should be accessible to every single person. And the taste trail is great 
for introducing you to different foods that you might not have tasted before. For example, the kangaroo skewers, which yeah. my um, Hannah is now five. So we've been going, I'd say, since she was a baby. So when she was first eating that, you know, that sort of food, she must have been two or three. And sure, she couldn't get enough of the kangaroo skewers. Yeah, the kangaroo skewers have been one one of them that has been hugely popular outside of uh, the single surf shop. But you, as you said, yeah, you can just experience loads of different different tasters right throughout the town. From like every single one's going to have a completely different thing. It could be mussels in one place. It could be a nice scoop of uh, ice cream in uh, Morphe's ice cream. You could have crab meat, monkfish, maybe some a little bit of uh, craft beer, scallops, lamb, beef, venison. It really is. There's so much stuff there that for everybody. It doesn't matter what you like, but it also introduces you to new uh, places that you maybe that you might not go to. You might think that oh, I don't, I don't ever, I've never been to that restaurant. It allows you to walk into the into the doors and just have something, something small, and have a little taster from that place. And you mentioned craft beer there, and down in Dingle, you have the distillery there. You have the beers. You have the the gin, you have the whiskey, and I believe there's some drinks academy type events taking place. Yeah, this year we've put a, a lot of focus on some of the amazing drinks that we have here as well. Like, so we've we've put a lot of effort this year into organising craft beers. You're going to find that we have three pubs in particular uh, looking after that, and they're up around the main street area. And that's if anyone know if anyone doesn't know that's around where the banks are on that street as well. So EIB Bank and so on. Uh, three pubs is going to be Nelly Fred's. You're going to have Gainey's, and then you're going to have Kendy's. Just a little walk up a little bit further, where they're celebrating a lot of Irish um, craft brewers and cider makers. Bring them in and showing them off to the public, and you can talk to them stuff like that. Also, this year we have uh, Drinks Academy in Dick Mac, and what that is, where we're going to have uh, gin master classes, and then there's also wine classes by even people like Leslie Williams. So we've, we've a little bit of focus on that as well. And then we've wine and cheese tasting um, throughout this weekend as well. Um, one thing that's definitely worth noting is that it's it, it's really, it, it's a festival we want for every single person. Like we've loads of free kids events. In the kids events this year, one thing that we have a great addition, which I think is going to be fabulous, the local scout group, they're coming in and they're going to run a little cafe within the kids area itself. And then we'll have loads of sports day events, falconry, bouncy castles and stuff like that. You nearly wish you were a kid again, I would imagine. Yeah, well, my advice is straight to the kids area. Lots of bouncing, totally wear them out. They have a buggy for them and put them into it with, you know, something to eat and start pushing. <laughs> Definitely. And one thing we have then on uh, Sunday in the kids area, and it's for uh, kids and parents, is Zumba. So it's going to give anyone a chance that if they have eaten too much or if they're planning to go eat again, uh, to go work it off with a, with a Zumba class. And that's with DJ Natch, the local lady here, and she's just fabulous. She will have everybody up dancing. She's fabulous. Well, Hannah Noonan will love that, so she will. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you briefly mentioned the markets, and th- this is a huge part of it as well, and it's great the way they're kind of scattered all over the town, and you've lots of market holders there, and I'm I'm sure some of them will be displaying a very nice piece of crystal, because the Bloss Nairn Awards will be taking place this weekend also. Yeah, that's correct. So the Bloss is on this weekend as well and that's the taste uh, the Irish taste awards that's exactly what it is and we, we host it here every year as part of the festival and the markets themselves like we sh- you should expect when you come down this week- weekend to have you're going to have about 55 market stalls and they're like you know it's a very, when we pick those out we, we get in an excess of 200 applications and we have to sit down and look at the products and even look at the products so there's not too much of an overlap and stuff like that and we'll have that wandering around sort of from Holy Ground, which is down near um, the Garda Barracks, comes all the way up to Grays Lane, if anyone knows where the little cheese shop is. And then we have another little area, about a five-minute walk away in Orchard Lane. You're going to be able to, you know, and we really pick out some of the top Irish arts and um, stall producers who have good stalls and stuff like that. And for some of them that have been coming, we have a couple of guys that have been coming for probably about eight years to the festival. And even when they arrive 
we give we try to give them the same spot or whatever, and they will say that they'll have people coming up going, oh, I was hoping you're here at the same spot again, and they remember them from eight years. That's it amazing. Is, it really is, and it's even from my involvement within the festival. It's been so great to see so many more producers come and stuff. It really does emphasise not just what we have available to us here in Kerry, but in Munster, and then right around through Ireland. It really is amazing. It's unbelievable. The one thing that's very important to note is the festival itself, the food festival, is run by a small group of volunteers. Um, we give up our time right when we start planning in, in about March, and we just take on, every, we divide out a load of little jobs between us and stuff, and probably in total about 10 volunteers, and what we would expect to have on the weekend is somewhere between eight and 10,000 people, some of that. So it's a massive undertaking, but it's, while it's massive, it's, it now has grown into a huge challenge because there's so much logistic things that happen around it, and you're looking at health and safety and stuff, but it's very rewarding. It's, it's one of those things that if you're thinking of volunteering and doing something for the community and really showing up, at the end of it, you just go, wow, it really is. It's amazing what you can do when you put a community together. Well, it is an absolutely amazing event. So it starts on Friday. It runs until Sunday. The full programme of events is on your website, which is? Uh, Dinglefood.com, www.dinglefood.com. And we have a Facebook page as well where you'll see regular updates of what's happening on the taste trail. You'll see lovely photos and stuff. And that's on, if you go onto Facebook, that's Dinglefood. Well, thanks so much for telling us all about it this evening, Mark, and best of luck with the weekend. Great, thanks. And we hope to see many of your listeners down there. Thanks, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sadly, that brings us to the end of tonight's show, which will be on the podcast later in the week, SharonNoonan.com, or subscribe free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thank you so much for your company and for tuning in as always. And of course, to all of this evening's guests, Ron Forrestal, Manuela Spinelli, Anthony O'Toole and Mark Murphy. As Mark said, a fabulous programme of events for all age groups to enjoy this weekend. Dinglefood.com is the website. And of course, the Irish Food Awards, a.k.a. the Blossom Erin Judging, takes place this week also. And the winners will be announced at the weekend. So best of luck to all involved. I'll be back at the same time next Tuesday, all being well. So until then, have a great week. And as always, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!